0: No? Because we didn't really get through it. I think there's an extra one here. Hold on. There's one left. <laughs> yeah, you want a copy? Can you go? Can one of you guys go make a copy? Yes. Can one of you guys go make a couple more copies? Thank you. So... I'll just kind of start at the beginning. This this really doesn't have a yes. Yep. Um, I had I had brought up at the end of last week um, the passage in Titus, Titus chapter one verse twelve. Uh, where he says one of Crete's own prophets has said it, has said it, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And uh, it it really sparked some questions in my own mind about um, what do people say about me as an individual and about our church uh, and about Christians in general, and are the things that they say about those items are they true? Um, you know, and, and I had made the statement that you know back in the in the 80s, I believe it was about 1986, that. Thank you. I don't. I don't need it. I have mine here. Uh, Terry and um, you. You got one. He found his there. Um, but back in the 80s, I made a reference to uh, you know some things that were in the news, and all of a sudden now there is a there is a uh, I don't know what the word is for it, but there there's an expression um, called going postal that is because of some things that transpired. So this, is, this passage is actually a saying from a Greek philosopher that what is said about Greece or, uh, Crete's people because of how so many of them would act. And so let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer and then we'll get into this. Lord, I thank you for today and I thank you for your blessings. And Father, I thank you for your word and how you show us that you want to change us, and um, Lord, not to uh, allow the world to influence us away from your truth, but Lord, to allow your truth to live righteously and wholly before a, an observing world, and also among our brothers and sisters. I pray that you would help us to understand, Lord, what it is that you want us to know in this passage, and I thank you in Christ's name, amen. So with those questions that came up, um, I wanted to kind of make clear, because after I thought about it when we left, um, th- these questions are, are the views from people outside the church, okay? And if I were to ask what is said about me personally for, to a variety of different people, how many different answers would I get? If you ask 10 people, you know 10 are What's that? What's that? Okay that's that's a good answer as many people that are involved that's probably how many differences there might be in their response um, how should i allow that to influence me As long as you're walking with the Lord you shouldn't let it bother you Okay so if i have complete assurance and peace that i'm doing everything that i know how to do according to God's word it shouldn't affect what i do it may hurt my feelings um, it may Uh, it it may change the way I think about some things, but the end result still should be that I want to please the Lord the best that I know how to do. And I want to search the scriptures to find out if what God says about me is the same as what those people say about me or if it's different. That's very possible. That's very likely. Right, right. And so, as individuals, as, as each person lives and walks this way, the things that are said about Christ's church are going to naturally uh, migrate towards what each person, how, how each person lives. And so, you know, what is said about Christianity as a result of that will continue. So, so what people say about Christianity today, did it all of a sudden happen one, overnight one day? No, it, it was a gradual progression that, is, that has continued to happen. And we can look at the progression that's described in Romans chapter one about what things happen in the world, and we can attribute that to being that Christians, in general, over uh, a, a large you know, maybe not so large, but over a period of time anyway, have continued to shrink back for the sake of not being confrontational. And so And that's a difficult thing, because me, by nature, I don't like confrontation. Does it need to happen? Yeah. Um, Excuse me. Uh, Sometimes confrontations that we have with each other or that we have with somebody brings us to a place to really evaluate and, and search deeper for what truth is than if it never happened. So if I don't ever have confrontation, I may, I may just live my life and continue on and just, okay, everything's cool, everything's okay, um, and and there's nothing that really needs to change. And I don't know if you got a chance to read through the notes that that I gave you last week, but at the bottom of the page, I had just written this down. Discipleship gives me intel on the hidden minds in my life. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later Uh As we go through these passages and and to help understand what exactly that means. So if you look at 1 Timothy 4.16, we're going to hit several just quick passages here. And it's a passage that should be or probably is familiar to to many of us because it's one that we use often. Um, He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will, save, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I had asked the, the, the question last week, um, what's the responsibility of the hearers? And I don't know that I ever did really go and answer that question. But the, the, the conclusion that I come to out of this passage is my hearers tell me what it is that my life is speaking to them. Not what my words are saying, okay? Sometimes my hearers will tell me out of persecution, that i'm I'm walking closer with the Lord. So when you read uh, like I think it's first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, excuse me. Um, yeah, second Thessalonians, I believe it's chapter f- chapter three. And if you read verses 6 through 15, uh, we won't read the whole things, but in just in verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and doesn't live according to the teaching you receive from us. If there's a group full of people where some are walking and moving uh, aggressively or rapidly closer to Jesus Christ, and there are some who don't want to be pushed in that way, then what does that do? That creates a little bit of tension. Um, if there's some that move aggressively forward, there's a lot of times, most of the time, the reaction that happens in that room is, wow, they're, they're moving. Uh, wait up. <laughs> I'm coming too. And so the, the, the response from the peers that happen um in in first timothy four sixteen, all of those things are inputs to me that reflect whether or not i'm moving closer to christ in a godly way or not and so we can take that and and use that to to help understand what we're if we're if we're moving in a godly way or if we're not and and of course it always is a reflection of or or is compared to what the scripture says So if we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, verses 1 through 5. Sorry, I'm on the wrong chapter. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge... Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths, if we read verse five here as well, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So as I read through that, why why does it take a great number of witnesses to say what their itching ears want to hear? Any ideas? Right. So they're trying to convince themselves that the conviction they feel is wrong and what everybody and what our desires, what our fleshly natural desires are, is right. And so if I have one person who agrees with me on something and everybody else disagrees, am I going to question whether what I believe is right or not? Yeah. I'm going to go, wow, hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And so when Paul is before, um, I forget if it's Festus or, or Felix or uh, who's the next guy that he goes to um, in Acts. Uh, let me just look there real quick. When when Paul is uh, oh now I can't remember who it is. Yes. Um, he's before Agrippa, and and Agrippa so, keeps telling him, "Paul, come here. I want to hear a little more." Paul gives him a little bit more truth, a little bit. Okay, that's enough. I don't want to hear any more. And he and he puts him back in jail, and then he's oh, he's torn up inside. And he, Paul, come here. Tell me a little more. And he and he knows in his spirit, that what Paul is saying is right. But in his flesh, and because of the position that he's in and the people that he has around him, they're all going, don't listen to him. Eh, he's, he's, he's fruity. He's, he's off his nut. Um, he's, he's, you know, a little overboard on this religion thing. Um, and Paul continues to just give him truth. And Paul is going through a severe trial, and he's going through a hard time, but he has peace because what he's doing, he knows is right before God. And so in Titus 3, um, you don't have to turn there, but I've got it written on the notes there, uh, 9 and 10. He says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and they're useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. And just before that, in Titus 2, 11 through 13, he describes how the grace of God that offers salvation to everybody has appeared to everyone. And it teaches us, the grace teaches us to to say no to anything that's ungodly and to live righteously, to live sober um, and, and pure and holy. And so... One of the passages that I wrote down here is Proverbs 27.2. Um, Proverbs 27.2 tells us that we should live such a, a clean life that other people speak well of us. And it's not that we li- exalt ourselves in any way or we lift ourselves up in any way. Um, verse uh, ch- Chapter 27, verse 2, it's just a short verse. He says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Uh, and, and the next verse, I, I can really appreciate this as well. It says, a stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fuel, a fool's provo- provocation is heavier than both. Um, and, and so the, if there's a, if there's a provoking that happens to try and stir up and draw someone away from Christ, how easily do we get frustrated and angry with that? Um, I, just from my own experience, uh, I, I can say that it, it's hard, it's difficult for me. If, if someone wants to come to me and, and talk to me about, um, you know, a, a question that comes up from time to time with, with me is, is why do you have to use the Bible with, with everything, every answer to your questions? Uh, and, and so I wanna ask in those situations, well, are we both Christians? Are we both followers of Christ if the answer is yes why wouldn't I want to know what God's Word says about the questions that are being asked and so that's that's difficult for me I mean if, if somebody says answer me without using this I want to stand and go well, I don't have an answer for you then because what my opinion is, is it doesn't matter what matters is what God thinks um, and if, if you're asking for my opinion, and I give you my opinion, like Paul says in Romans 7, he says, my flesh and the law are both at work, and they're fighting each other in my life. When people ask me that, it says, do you want to hear the truth, or do you want me to make you feel it? Right, and, then, like, and, and, and that's, that's I, I've heard that before, too. I can give you an honest, <laughs> truthful answer, or I can, I can say something that will make us both feel good, but we'll send every person that hears it to hell because it's not true because it's a lie or it's because it's it's an act of my own desire my own flesh so in 2 corinthians 10 um, the passage that we've studied recently he talks about comparing ourselves with ourselves and uh, chapter 10 verse 12 He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. So in other words, he's saying they're just looking around going, am I doing good enough in the eyes of all the people that are observing me? And as I observe them, are we all kind of all on the same level? And if we are, then that's okay. Okay. Um, And Paul is really urging them to compare themselves with what the Scripture says about their own lives and also what the Scripture says about how God wants to move us closer to Him and offers the rewards for that. So I made a statement to somebody recently that says that, that that I described, I said, you know, during a difficult trial or during a difficult time or during persecution, when we obey God, when it's most difficult... We don't see it now, but there's reward in heaven for perseverance. There's reward in heaven for just doing what God says, even though it was difficult, and and that's an example that we set for other people. Um, Take a look at Isaiah 64, (laughs) verse 6. Keep your finger right close to Romans, because we're going to go back there in a second. Um, Because Paul quotes part of, he quotes this verse uh in Romans. Sixty four what Isaiah sixty four six. If somebody's there already you can go ahead and read it. All of us have become like one who is untrue and all and all our righteousness acts are like mm-hmm. filthy. filthy rags. Okay, and keeping that verse in mind, if we turn to Romans chapter 7, we're just going to look at verse 18, and then we're going to jump to chapter 3 in Romans as well. So this is just reflecting... Uh, As you're turning there, reflecting on 2 Corinthians 10, 12, if I'm comparing myself with everybody else, am I comparing and saying I'm just as good as everybody else or am I comparing and saying I'm just as filthy as everyone else? (laughs) Yeah, so just as good or as bad, however you want to look at it. Um, And so if you go into each church, each culture, um, each country, things like that, the the status quo, whatever the culture's acceptable level of living is, do the Christians migrate to the acceptable living of culture or do they come out of it and follow Christ to, in, 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 with the purpose of drawing the culture to them? Today they're conforming to it. Okay, today they're conforming to it. And that's why it's so hard to see Christ in the body of believers today, I believe. So, Romans 7, verse 18. Um, take it easier our right. right, right. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, and that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So keep your finger in this passage and just back up a couple pages to chapter 3. Verses 10 through 18, he says, As it is written, and this is where he quotes Isaiah 64 and then a number of other passages as well. He says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Excuse me. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips, and their mouths are full of cursing (laughs) and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so if you ask the question in churches today, do you fear God? the answer, the verbal answer would be yes. So the question is back to what is said about me, um, would my actions reflect that I genuinely fear God? Not with a... Um, a scared fear. Right, not a scared fear, but a reverent fear. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's a reverent fear like you would have for a dad who loves you and spends time with you and when you do something wrong, disciplines you and then comes back and reassures, yes, I still love you. You're still my child. Um, you know, and, and sometimes that's hard to compare because have we all had perfect dads? Have we all been perfect dads, you know? Um, but hopefully we learn from the bad experiences and, and we continue to, to allow God to work in us uh, as a result. So, um, you'll see down there that I have it written under those passages. As our minds are being regenerated and transformed, we choose to disobey our flesh, our temptations, and our own desires. And so, we use the divine power, 2 Corinthians ten three through 5 found in God's Word, to correct us. Uh, does anybody remember what 2 Corinthians 10 through five says okay let's go ahead and turn there that's okay we'll just go ahead and we'll read it I'm sure as soon as you put your eyes on it you'll go oh yeah I remember that it says we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world what are the weapons that we fight with say that again Spiritual, okay so it's the Word of God it's it's faith it's hope it's love it's it's the Bible um, it's whatever God says is true whatever God says is righteous there's so many passages that we read about putting our minds on things that are that are above and not on earthly things what does that mean for me what that means for me is David you need to learn how to adjust your schedule David you need to learn that when you're busy and somebody else comes into my shop to talk to me that I don't snap at them like I don't have time for them. What's that? (laughs) I don't like that one. (laughs) Slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay, well, I'm slower to become angry today than I was yesterday. God, is that good enough? Good job, but keep moving. Okay, so um, the weapons we fight with, we live in the world, I'll start again, sorry about that. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons is what this is talking about. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so when we stop there, um, I wrote just underneath it here. Do others impose strongholds on us? <laughs> you say yes. How so? Give me a give me a for instance. Okay. So yeah, so there's always influences. So, okay. And I'm sorry, I I started my own study on this and good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I realized that it's not my lesson to give, so I stopped. uh one of the things here is that we have to choose our weapons. Right. That is a very important point. Yes. Does that yes. also with, you? you got to choose your battleground where you're to do that at. It's more of uh, You know, I mean, that's why your weapons are fair, faithful, love, God's work. Right. we don't use any of them. When we take one of these out of the, out of the equation, we might as well just be like everyone else. Right. So when it says, we don't wage war as the world does, and and, and I think what you're talking about is if somebody comes to you and says, I have a better idea for today than going to church and serving your body of believers and worshiping the Lord, whatever. And they don't say those exact words, but the underlying uh, uh, purpose is to accomplish getting you away from doing something that God wants you to do. And so, like what you just said, you have to choose your weapons. Um, that means if you're choosing to wage war like, war like the world does, you're choosing to please the people around you. If you're choosing <laughs> to wage war the way Christ wants us to, then we don't concern ourselves as much with pleasing other people, but you don't intentionally go out to, uh, to inflict injury or to, to, to insult other people or anything like that. You're choosing to please God in what you do. And so when I put this, this question down, do others impose strongholds on us? My answer is no, if I'm just choosing to please the Lord. Okay? Because if I'm choosing to please the Lord, then I'm, then I'm taking the Scripture and applying it to my life, and I'm taking faith, hope, love, prayer, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, um, and all of that into consideration because I'm, I'm focusing on the end result. Yes, so, so and, and that's where people come up with the term addiction. Addiction, I- in the world view, is something that's out of your control. Something that you, that you have, and it's just, oh man, it's just part of your makeup. Um, a person is addicted to pornography, they're addicted to stealing cars, they're addicted to abusing people, Um, alcohol, whatever you name it. I mean, there's so many different addictions today um, that are described that relieve you from responsibility of your actions. Where Jesus says, everything that's a stronghold in your life, I give you the solution to deal with it, and it's not easy. It may not be the yeah, exactly, the answer you're looking for it may be very difficult, but the end result is permanent and the reward is good. Yes? I have the last word I was thinking about this over the week. Uh, people don't bring strongholds and bring temptation. Right. It's the stronghold is your mindset on you. Right, right. So you. And so that's, yeah, and that's, that's, a, good, that's a good point as well. Um, and so as you see, I, I put down in this passage, the war is not with the, war, the world outside. The war is with my flesh. <coughs> Who do I want to please? Do I want to please the people that are around <coughs> me, whether in the world or in the church or wherever it may be? Do I want to love people? Absolutely. And I want them to know and, fe- and, and I want them to feel loved. But if it's a love any other than how God describes it, it's not true love. And so the goal is always to help bring someone closer to Christ. And I'm just the kind of person, and this is maybe where this comes from in me, I'm the kind of person where I want somebody to come to me and, and knock me on the head sometimes and go, you're not living right. And I go, okay, show me, help me understand. I want to know what, what it is. Um, everybody's going to come and beat me up after, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, and that's true. And sometimes, to be to be honest, sometimes I don't want that. There are times I'm like, you know what? I think I'm I'm good. Leave me alone. And I want that. Uh, but you know, it kind of goes back and forth. And so the the war that happens within. You know, I wrote down Colossians three, the first few verses in Colossians three tell us what to do with our mind and our heart before we engage in the struggle or, in, or before the time comes where we're confronted with a trial or we're confronted with temptation. Um, and and I, I can't remember if it's 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's 1 Corinthians 10 where, where he describes that every time a temptation comes, he always provides a way out uh, verse 13, First Corinthians, sorry, First Corinthians 10, 11, and 11 through 13, he's describing the things that happened in the wilderness, you know, when the uh, Israelites were led out of Egypt and they were led to the promised land and God promised them, he said, this is going to be your land. And they got there, and they sent in spies, and the spies came back. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that came back and said, You know what? I see all of this stuff. I see these huge people. I see this land flowing with milk and honey. God says it's ours. We're going to take it. Let's go. And everybody else went, wait a, minute, wait a minute. You guys are young. You're foolish. You don't know how to fight a war. We don't know how to fight a war. And we better just sit tight. Right. Thing here 10, it's a we or not. Right. And uh, uh, so the wall. Right. it's being with him that breaks them down. So if, we're not, if we don't want to do that that wall gets, gets better and better and better. Right, right. So Right. And it and it and it's proof or it should be evidence either a you're not fellowshipping with God or b you're not really his. right. 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 So can you always see the way out? No. When of of 2 Corinthians 10, can you always see the way out if you're doing what Colossians 3 says? If you're setting your hearts and your minds on things above. I uh, agree but I want to add to it. I really dug into this this weekend because I had a lot more free time because I did the thing. Uh, <laughs> it, it It's like practicing for basketball. You've got to practice to get better and better and better and better and better. Right. right so Hebrews 5 says that by constant use of the scripture you become mature the the last verse in Hebrews chapter 5 um, and he's describing you should be teachers by now but you're not you're still on the milk Uh, there are some who have trained themselves by constant use of the scripture uh, to become mature and so um, yeah it does And, and we can't be impatient with that you know Yes, and that's true, too. That's absolutely true. Um, so, well, that's true. Um, and, and I would say that that's absolutely true. But what, hap- what I'm looking at here is when temptation, uh, no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind, and God is faithful, he will not let you tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure under it. Okay, we've already described uh, Colossians 3 about setting your mind and your heart on, on heavenly things, on godly things. When we choose not to take the way out is when a stronghold takes, takes grip. So when we read that passage um, in 2 Corinthians 10... Yeah, right. Yes, yes, that is true. Um, If you still have your finger in Romans 7, I don't know if you still do or not, but look at verses really quick, 21 through 25. What's that? Yeah. Paul says... So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And so Paul is saying, temptation is never going to leave you. There is always going to be a spiritual warfare that takes place, and what you do with your mind, the things that you set your mind on, the things that you set your heart on, you have to lead your heart, you have to lead your mind. It's not the other way around. Things don't just randomly happen to us, and there are cases where things that happen that are outside of our control, but in every situation, God has provided the things needed to prepare us to handle that situation. And so, At the bottom of the page, um, again, I I put discipleship gives me intel on the hidden minds. Uh, And so when I look at that and I disciple with people, you said accountability partners are important. When I disciple with somebody, there has to be a freedom for that person to tell me what they see. And if that person is walking with the Lord, everything that they tell me is going to be information that is going to improve my walk with the Lord. And it's going to help me to lead other people to walk with the Lord too. And so something Jim said a few weeks ago really stuck out in my mind because I, I used to ask my, myself the question all the time. Uh, it seems like sometimes witnessing and discipleship is so ineffective. And all of a sudden, it, you know, when he said this, it just made sense that if discipleship is not three generations or three people, you know, in, in a row consecutively, it's ineffective. And, and I'm going, all of a sudden it clicked on, the light clicked on. So I'm not discipling just a person and they're not discipling me just so I can be discipled or I'm not discipling another person just so they can be discipled. It's a continuous repeated action. I'm discipling that person so that they can disciple the next person and then they, and, and it can continue on. And it's like a constantly running chain, um, and the same is true coming to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So down at the end of the movie, you know, she she said, "Okay, praise God." You know, this this woman that she's been praying with and discipling with, and uh, this woman sits down. Okay, Lord, you've helped me to help this person, and she. The question she asks is, "Who's next?" you know and she's already looking to the next person and and she kind of gives the idea like lord i really don't want to do this but i know it's what you want and you're going to provide everything needed for me to do it so i want to do it and she's and she's like i'm scared i'm nervous i'm uh, i i don't know that i'm doing it right you know <laughs> i love the coffee thing <laughs> i mean she gives her coffee i don't know if you've seen the movie but she gives her coffee she kind of spits it out she's like do you always drink room temperature coffee she said no i like mine hot (laughs) she takes a drink (laughs) you know and she's asking her about her prayer life how's your how's your prayer life would you say it's hot or would you say it's cold well it's not real hot i wouldn't say but it's not exactly cold i mean i pray and and she uses (laughs) lukewarm room temperature coffee to make the point you need to be hot or you need to be cold that lukewarm is the most repulsive thing that you can possibly be. And so um, I've written at the bottom here that in China, um, the underground church is praying for the United States. Do you know why that they're praying for the United States? Well, okay. (laughs) More specifically. Because we have everything at our fingertips. yeah. Because, because the, the church in the United States is probably the biggest picture of the lukewarm church that there is in the world. Because we have everything at our disposal. We have the word of God. And we're not really persecuted for it. And so we just take it and we coast along. And and getting killed and right. They're praying for us. Right. And so, you know, the, the Chinese church... Is experiencing similar conditions of what we read about in Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 12. Um, in Acts 17, it's a description of when the people, the the Pharisees, are searching for Paul, and he goes to I think it's Jason's house, and he he Jason hides him and gets him out of the house, and they show up at Jason's door. Where is he? You get him out here now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. He left all right, we're taking you, and you're going to pay. You're going to go to jail, and then you are going to postpone, and you're going to understand that when we speak and we say you give us the man, you're going to pay for it. And so in Hebrews 10, there's a description. Let's look at that real quick. Hebrews 10, 32. he's, He's giving them encouragement even though it doesn't sound like the way the world would describe encouragement. Um, If we look at starting in verses 32 of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in great conflict, full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were who were so treated. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And so this description here, if something like that were happening today, um, it would be difficult to understand. Um, Tracy and... and, um, Sherry have been reading Job, and I think your family's been reading Job together, too. And, and so I, I've, I've been interested to listen, you know, to I've asked Tracy, where are you at? You know, what are you, what are you reading? And she says, well, you know, his friends, one of his friends has just showed up, and they sat there, and they looked at him for a week. You know, and they're looking at him going, why do, why, what do you do? And, and Job's wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? It's, it seems so ridiculous to suffer physically in this way when you can be relieved of it by just a few things. And and Job says, I won't shrink back. I won't do those things. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not sinning. And and I understand how it appears that way to you. Um, But I know that I've done what is right in the eyes of God. And he endures through this this severe uh, physical suffering. And in that day, Everything in them, that, if, if you look at every physical suffering that happened in a severe case like that, people looked at them and said, what, do you, what did you do to God? What violation, what sin did you do that God would allow you to go into this? You know, um, And so everybody's looking at Job going, you must have did something. And, uh, and so he doesn't want to shrink back. But then in, in the New Testament, God tells us, the Bible tells us that there's going to be persecutions, there's going to be trials, there's going to be difficulties that come, and the evidence of faith in Jesus Christ is going to be how you respond through those things. And that goes back to what when you saying, when your friends trying to pull you away, his friends and his wife even, right. they didn't have the Right. That's where someone, Just admit you're Right. Yeah, so, I mean, the the thought that sticks out in my mind through this is through persecution and suffering, we have peace that comes by doing what is right. So even though it's a struggle, even though it's a trial, and even though there's all kinds of pressure from the people around us, when I do something that I know is right according to God's word, even though the trial is still there, the pressure is still there, the temptation is still there, there's a peace inside. And so... If I choose not to do that, that's when I want to gather around all these people that say, you're okay, you're right, you're doing okay, you're doing fine. And so um, another passage that I had just written down um, as I was looking at this was, uh, was Acts chapter 12, and it's just another description where Peter's in jail. Um, James, John's brother, has been executed by the sword. He's been put to death with the sword from Herod. And Peter, Herod, looks and sees. He said, wow, this really, this really impressed the Jews. They're really happy about this. They're dancing in the streets, and they're carrying on because James is dead. One more apostle is no longer able to for- further the gospel. Peter, your trial's tomorrow. Good night. That's what he says. An angel shows up and an angel shows up takes peter out of jail and they go and i think that i think that's the story when he shows up at the house where they're all praying and rhoda comes to the door and then she comes running back peter's at the door and they're going Shh, we're praying for peter for his release he's going to die tomorrow rhoda don't you understand she's going no 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 <laughs> your prayers have been answered and, and sometimes we do that, too. We'll pray for something without really believing that God's going to do it. And, uh, and, and when it matches up with his will, we can pray it as though it's already happened and know that it's true. So thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you guys.